listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. There was this teacher who was sitting in the middle of this room with a whole bunch of people. And one of the questions that came up, he gave a Dharma talk and so forth, and one of the questions that came up was, well, what does uh, a human being, what does a person, what does a self want more than anything else? And of course, I, I, was, I was pretty new to this whole meditation game, so I thought that was a pretty cool question. And I still think it's a pretty cool question. But it was uh, handled really interestingly because what the teacher did is he said, well, what do you think? And this turned into a, a, kind of a series of conversations. Um, and it kind of the, the conversation literally uh, as a whole went kind of all over the place. Uh, it was kind of a debate. Well, here's what a, what a self really wants is you know, to be, to be uh, respected. Uh, what a self really wants is to be honored. What a self really wants is to all these things. And, you know, they're all generally true. And then after about 15 or 20 minutes of this give and take, and it was very interesting because it was more of a free form than I was used to, certainly more of a free form than I was used to this guy giving in his, uh, after his Dharma talks. And he held up a finger and uh, he said, what a self wants first is to be seen. I thought that was such a cool, cool way of looking at it. What a self really wants is to be seen, to be heard, right? In other words, for a self, the most important thing is to be recognized as a self before we get kind of lost in this heady game, recognize your own sense of self. The own, your own sense of self. We can kind of poke around and, and uncover it. Uh, if you have a sense of I, an I sense, I am Michael, I take that I sense and I follow it to its core, what do I uncover? That which is precisely beyond the I. Much of this work is about uncovering the boundary of that I, figuring out where the boundary of that I sense is, okay? so that when we can get right up next to it, when we can see it, which is what it wants more than anything else, it wants to be recognized, when we can see it, that in us which is actually doing the seeing is not that I. It's free of it. 
It holds that eye in its tender embrace, but it is totally free of all the machinations, of all the needs, of all the clinging of that eye. Okay? <laughs> this, is, this is core to this teaching, so if you can at least even get like a semblance of recognition. John, I'm not asking you to understand anything, but if you, if you can just let this stuff kind of pour all over you and you can feel at least a little bit wet, we're in good shape. Okay? We can start looking at our own eye sense really carefully, and this isn't always comfortable, but we can look very carefully at our eye sense. What does our eye sense want more than anything else? Does our eye sense, for instance, just want to be loved? Does our eye sense want to be held? Does our eye sense want to take care of? Does our eye sense want to seek? Does our eye sense want to control? Does it, whatever this is, whatever this eye sense wants, whatever this eye sense thinks it is, is a very partial, partial truth. One of the coolest exercises that uh, we've done in here has been when I have asked you guys to fill in the blank, okay? I am blank. Give me 10 ways you could respond to that. I am blank. Now, don't do it. Don't blurt it out. Keep it silent. I am blank. It could be your gender. It could be your cultural heritage. It could be the conditioning that has come from your family. It could be a role that you fill. It could be your name. It could be your body. It could be anything that you use as an identity. And those are all great. Okay? Some might be destructive, you know? And you might have the courage to even recognize that. I am an enabler. Hmm. Well, that's courageous. That's courageous of you to be able to see that. Okay? I am desperate for attention. Okay? Well, that's courageous of you to be able to see that. Are you ready to get past those things? That's the big question. Are you ready to get past all those partial truths of who you really are? Those 10 things that you list internally are only partially real. Yes, I am a son. Yes, I am a husband. Yes, I am Michael. Yes, I'm about to be a dad. Yes, I'm about, you know, all these things. They're all real, but they're tiny, squished relevances of something that's much bigger. And that much bigger is why we are here. And if you are not here for the much bigger, uh, study that. Study that. That's a self that wants to control this whole thing. That's a self that wants to have friends. That's a self that just wants to have a community. That's a self that just wants to be able to have another label. So my hope is that your realization is much more important, that the realization of that which is big is much more important than anything that I say or do 
or anything that this community offers, while it's wonderful and I love it with all my heart, and you guys are pretty cool too, right? What's really important is that we are here establishing willingly and willfully a cauldron into which we can jump. And we can see what reduces. We can see what to skim off the top and let go. We can see what's essential. And it is very, very exciting work. But it is work. And what can help this along is an open relationship with whatever situation you might be in. You might be in a really awful, awful position right now. Can you be present with it? Because if you can be, guess what? That awful situation then becomes your yellow brick road to Oz, to awakening. If you're in a really satisfied, amazing, peaceful situation right now, and you can meet that with your full attention, guess what? That can be your yellow brick road to awakening. No matter what your situation, your situation is just that. It's a situation. It's a circumstance. Circumstances will constantly ebb and flow. Always. Always. But that which holds and can observe the circumstance, whatever it is, is forever beyond it. Is forever beyond the confines of that circumstance. And that's what we call an ultimate life. And that's what's available to all of us regardless of our circumstance. Meeting that ultimate life comes from studying our circumstance. And we study our circumstance the moment we commit to getting still. Shall we? So the purpose of the talk that I gave prior to our sitting was to more or less remind each of us why we're here, why we take on a spiritual practice, why we would ever, in our right minds, endeavor to climb this mountain of spirit. Because it's a difficult road. It's a, it's a it's not something that's um, easy for the ego. All right. On the other hand, what's really difficult is not climbing the mountain. What's really difficult is living in this world where we are constantly subjected to this push and pull and smashing together of being a separate self. That's, that's what's really difficult. And this uh, teaching is literally just kind of a prescription saying, okay, well, here's how, you know, you can, here's the medicine. Here's the medicine for that ailment. Or here's the roadmap for that particular climb or hike. 
And it's so common for us to lose ourselves while we are on that climb. It's so easy for us to essentially develop an entirely new set of attachments as we become motivated spiritually. Biggest thing for me and uh, several of us that uh, that were working together at a particular temple um, was the 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 personality of the teacher. The the teacher uh, himself became this real kind of object of attachment, and I mean it's through no fault of his own. I mean he was doing his work appropriately. I looking back on it and even at the time. But there was all this really interesting projection that kind of went from the students onto the teacher. Oh, well, he clearly gets it. You know, therefore, you know, anything he says must be right and so forth. And it was very interesting for many of us. Some of these dialogues we would have at the dorm- in the dormitory at night were so, so interesting when I look back on it because there was this structure in place that would have disallowed for any type of cult-like feeling in this particular place. It was grounded in a tradition that had been alive and active for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So it, it, wasn't, it wasn't going any, you know, they were working with a net, I guess is what, <laughs> what I'm kind of trying to say. So no matter where this guy kind of went, there was an organization, there was a sangha that was watching, right? I think this is really important. And it, it allowed me, as a beginning practitioner, to kind of trust what was going on and kind of give myself over to this process. Well, the self that each of us has is going to be attracted to various other selves. Remember, the greatest, most contagious thing in the world is unconsciousness and the root of our personal unconsciousness is the belief that there is something personal, that there is a self. Okay? And if this is making no sense, don't worry, I'll come back around and it will. Okay? That there is something personal, that there is this separate self, and separate selves are attracted and repulsed by other separate selves. The ones they like are the ones that mirror things in them that they like. The ones they don't like are the ones that mirror qualities in them that they don't like. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that when you find a quirk, a personality quirk, uh, you find in, in somebody that you have to deal with, or you find something really annoying in another person, or you find most negativity that we come up with in a meeting with another, that negativity is merely a reflection of something we don't like within our own personality. Not all the time, okay? Not all the time, but much of the time. It's really kind of fun to start watching that. <laughs> when, you, when someone just sends you right off the edge, just know, oh boy, yeah, it's funny because I don't like that quality in me either. It expands the self to include everyone. All right? Similarly, things you like in others may in fact be things that you don't readily find within yourself. They have something that I want. This at least was kind of the trap 
that, uh, that I was in it as I started. This guy had something I wanted. And what it ignited in me was this really powerful greed impulse. I want that. I want whatever he has. Well, what was so fascinating is that the way he was teaching, going about, if you will, getting what he had, was to let go of precisely everything that I had. Not so that I could gain anything, but so that I could lose all the extraneous stuff that I didn't need. That's what he had. Nothing. He had nothing to give me. Nothing to offer, nothing to teach. It, he was, in essence, just kind of this open, radiant presence of being. And that's our natural state. Our natural state is this natural openness of being. There's no something there. There is no thing there, ultimately. I mean, it was kind of cool. Here was this guy who was embodying this nothingness consciously. That was really cool. But he wasn't giving anything. His teaching, ultimately, was space. Open, radiant space. And it makes your heart skip a beat, weakens your knees. You know, is that powerful? You know? It took me years to realize that it wasn't him. <laughs> that it wasn't, he wasn't the one who was radiating anything other than what was totally natural. It was that I was so blocked from it within myself. And so each of us, as we sit here, myself included, every one of us can really, really look at that. What is it that kind of gets in the way of our natural state from expressing itself? I'll give you a hint. It's always the thing that wants to be seen. That in us which wants to be noticed, which wants to be recognized, which wants to be held in high regard, that in us which wants to be met, that in us which all this stuff, okay, this stuff, these things that we kind of grab onto, all that stuff is precisely what we do not need in order to express our natural state. So, this can sound like such an impossibility. It's like, well, okay, how the hell do I, you know, I happen to like Brooks Brothers shirts. Does that mean I can't wear them? Does that mean, you know, am I, does that mean I'm bad if I would? No, no, go for it. Buy a whole stack of Brooks Brothers shirts. Know that the necks are a little tight on Brooks Brothers shirts, so you might want to go up a half size. <laughs> But it's not necessary. It's just window dressing. It's fun, but it's window dressing. 
another way of describing window dressings. I'm going to turn, turn a little bit here in, in our talk. Window dress, another name for window dressings, preferences. Watch your preferences. All right? Your preferences will guide you. They're such an amazingly cool spiritual tool. Watching what you prefer. Okay? When you find out, ooh, yeah, like that. Ooh, no, don't like that so much. But it's okay. I just don't like that as Right? I'm always chocolate every time for dessert. Every single... And you know what? It's my preference. Okay? It is my preference. Nay, it is an attachment. <laughs> my chocolate is an attachment. Okay? Now, that's the cool aspect of preferences. They will take us right in to where we attach. All you have to do is watch your preferences and you will find subtle, sometimes overt displays of your attachments. And attachments are personal. Attachments are egoic work. Okay? Wanting to be seen is an attachment. It's a very primal, basic attachment of ego. It's not just a preference. Okay? And it, or it can go in its opposite direction and still be the same kind of attachment, which is I don't want to be seen. Right? I want to hide. Does this make sense? Any kind of attachment that we might have. So we go from preference into an attachment. What does the attachment do? The attachment is what shields the ego from the continual onslaught of the universe's chaos. The universe is inherently chaotic. It is just, it's a mess all the time. It's going crazy, okay? Like clockwork, it may be going crazy, but it's going crazy. I mean, it's, everything's expanding and everything is temporary, right? Everything is unstable. And the way that that in us, which wishes to be seen, stabilizes this, is it creates, if you will, armor. It creates ground. It creates um, a fortification. It creates bunkers. I'm using a lot of warlike terms, but it really, it quite literally is a way of staving off the onslaught, the attacks of the universe. It's positional. The ego's in here, and everything else is crashing against it from out there. How's it going to keep that stuff away? How's it going to keep the pain of loss, of uncertainty away, right? That's what it does. That's its job. And when you get to this recognition, when you kind of start seeing, my goodness, this is, this is exhausting. When you get to that space, you start understanding a very, very famous koan, which is a very famous Zen koan, which is, what is the sound, what is the sound of one hand clapping? Now, I, of course, as a young Zen student, tried to outsmart the koan, and I took one hand and did this. Okay? Clever, right? 
kind of a cool trick. You can practice it at home, but uh, you know, getting one hand to clap, right? Um, it wasn't it at all. The sound of one hand clapping is the sound when that wall that is constantly getting stuff slammed into it gives way. There's nothing there. And that sound is this beautiful, radiant applause. No sound. Nothing to teach. Nothing to offer. Nothing that needs to be seen. And that's us at our natural state. That's where we always are. We're always, we, we can't not be there. We're always there. And yet, there's that orientation, there's that preference, there are those attachments that crave things, qualities that others have, things to avoid, anything that will help stabilize the experience. That's always there, okay? as well as what's always surrounding it. Our task is to develop a very, very conscious relationship, not with that in us which is contracted, that in us which is desperate to feel loved, to feel like it's got a position, like it's got a place. Our work is to actually become more and more conscious, feeling loved, feeling happy, feeling like you've got a place, all those feelings will rise and fall, but becoming more and more conscious of what's going on inside will always, always deepen the less we're carrying around with us. It is. But the word that came to my head was fun. So. Yeah, it is. It's very cool. It's very, if you think about fun, the essence of, or what brings about fun is play, right? And play can't happen without surrender. So I would say at the core of this, at the, you know, the essential, the, the, when we reduce it, we get down to the essence, what we are talking about is fun. It's, it's not always fun for the ego because the ego, the last thing it wants to do is what? Surrender, right? Therefore, ego's sense of fun is always fleeting, is always temporary, but when we get underneath it, uh, the, that's the uh, the essential quality of fun, or, or better yet, joy. You know, and when we can feel 
like we can connect with another, like you mentioned. You know, when we can connect with other people, we can have these conversations. We feel like we're being met. And being met is different than necessarily being seen. Right? Being seen and being watched, right? That's what the ego wants. That which is beyond ego wants to meet itself through others. Do you ever hear that? The infinite wants to meet itself through all beings. It does not want to have lunch alone. And when you have lunch with somebody, as long as it's not with somebody who's desperate to be seen, it's usually a fun lunch. Usually. I'm sorry? You're dang right. It can be fun to have lunch alone as well. As a matter of fact, if you are the infinite, you are always, always having lunch as one. <laughs> party of one. Big party of one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually love eating alone. It's a, it's a whole different experience when uh, you know, my wife or, or a friend is, is with me. But that, that experience of really eating alone and letting the food carry, carry you, oh, that's remarkable. Watching a movie alone, that's a little easier because you can just hide in the dark there, right? But uh, yeah, doing things alone, that's a, real, that's a great practice, actually. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying that our egos have a desire to be seen, yes. But if we stop thinking about being seen, we will be seen. If you stop thinking about being seen, you will be seen. Well, maybe. I'm not sure. Are, are, you, are, you, are you asking how, how is it that we can best be seen? Or is it... I want to be really clear about the question before I start blabbering on. I had to see Allie before I decided to marry her, right? Right. right. Actually, I just had to smell her, and I knew. <laughs> she had this amazing scent. But yes, there was a sense perception. To have a sense perception of somebody allows for us, in this world of form, to engage, right? It's important. You're right. You're right. And she had to be wanting to be Absolutely. So our egos immediately started to get into a dance, right? And we call that a romance, okay? And it worked pretty dang well, and pretty fast, too. <laughs> we were, uh, I bought a ring three weeks after I met her, and we were engaged six weeks. I mean, it's one of those really, really fast things. But I would say that as much as our egos got into the mix first, what the egos really did was plow the way for something bigger, okay? Now, she and I do this dance, as most couples do, of small self battles and then big self-recognition, small self battle, right? And so together, we tend to be 
each other, we work as our, our relationship becomes our spiritual practice. Okay? And you can't get there without an ego. I'm not saying get rid of the ego. I'm certainly not saying kill the ego, kill that thing that wants to be seen. I'm saying quit attaching to the need to be seen, to be loved. The need, the craving. Oh, right? And what does that do? What that does is it puts us in this space that is beyond suffering. We might feel pain, you know, but our relationship to it changes, okay? It's no longer, we're no longer in its grip. We no longer suffer, okay? So that's kind of carrying this into the, you know, at the, at the, the basics of Buddhist teaching. It's like we, we have this sense that we are separate. We have this sense in us that wants to be seen. Not only wants to be seen, it desires, it craves. It craves attention or craves non-attention. There's this craving nature to us, and that's the small self. Okay? Now, the small self is still very useful. Okay? Because it helps us navigate through the world. But when it's the only thing that we use to navigate through the world, we have a very, very limited view. When we can use the small self as a tool rather than being tooled by the small self, we awaken. Or at least we're on the path. We're climbing that mountain of spirit. When we are able to use it with great facility, okay, we've come down the mountain. We've come back home and we're letting that view from the summit inspire, invoke, and bless us and everybody else as we move through the world. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, and that small self creates the, the, the fear, the un, being uncomfortable in the situation. Yeah, that small self, not only does it create it, um, it lives by it. It, it, it. By being separate, it is perpetually on the edge of feeling absolute terror. Okay? And it's, it's bliss that it feels is you know, it, it might sustain it for a little while, but then it gets right back, ooh, right? And so it's always in kind of this, this push-pull, I use that metaphor a great deal, this push-pull experience, as opposed to being totally at peace and stable. It's separate, and therefore stuff's beating it down and beating it up, all right? As opposed to being totally connected, and that which is totally infinite and totally connected, there are no separate parts to hit against it. There's nothing separate to hit against it. There's just stuff dancing within. It is a nice place to be. Sure. <laughs> you want some of that? Yeah, well, I don't, don't look at me. I don't have it. Thanks for coming tonight, you guys.